Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He leads away. Australia away. Sit back and enjoy the strike play of Meg Lanny. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Welcome back to The Scoop. We are the cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. Now, we took a little bit of time off over December after being in the WBBL Village, but with some women's cricket on the horizon again, we are back. We are back in a big way with a very special episode. As some of our listeners might have seen on social media, on the 30th of December, we celebrated the 10-year anniversary of Meg Lanning's debut back in 2010. So naturally... We wanted to get Meg on the scoop to reflect on what's been an incredible 10 years in the Aussie team. But before we get to Meg, firstly, we're just going to give you a quick update on the state of play in the women's game at the moment and what's changed since the WBBL wrapped up in early December. So firstly, it was an announcement that we were probably all expecting, but the news finally dropped that the Indian women will not be touring to Australia in January as was initially scheduled. So that series has been postponed to next summer. That is correct. And obviously it's very disappointing for players and for fans who are desperate to see the Aussies back in the green and gold. But this series was always meant to be a warm-up for the World Cup. It was scheduled to be three matches played immediately before both teams went to New Zealand for the World Cup. So with that World Cup postponed, it ended up being just logistically a nightmare for India to come out here with the quarantine for that series to go ahead But the good news is this isn't just some, oh, it's postponed and then it never happens. We know it'll happen next summer. England are going to be over here for Ashes too. So it's going to be a massive summer for Australia to get ready for that World Cup in New Zealand. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a great preparation for the Aussies ahead of that World Cup. But in some more good news, we've also got the domestic 50 over cricket to look forward to with the WNCL schedule locked in and hopefully set to begin on January 25. Yes, hopefully. We were... um, disappointed to hear earlier this week that the first round of matches have been moved back to February and March but again that's pretty understandable the border are shut for New to everyone from New South Wales for most of the country so they're not able to get to South Australia for their first matches the um, situation in Victoria is also a little bit precarious at the moment so it does make sense that these 
fixtures have just been pushed back slightly. The intention is still to have a full season, which is very exciting. And hopefully we'll also get to see the Aussie women in action again before the season's end. Yeah, fingers crossed. And we'll be sure to bring you plenty of chats with from the players when that WNCL season starts. But for now, here's Meg reflecting on her 10 years in green and gold. Meg Lanning, welcome back to the Scoop podcast for a very special edition where we're going to reflect on the 10 years that you've spent as part of the Aussie women's cricket team. Firstly, Meg, how is your memory? And secondly, does it feel like it's been 10 years in the green and gold? Oh, it's certainly flown by. I feel a bit a bit old saying that I've played for, for 10 years in the Australian team. But uh, yeah, I remember uh, my first sort of couple of games um, pretty pretty closely. But um, yeah, it's it's gone so quick and uh, I've been lucky to be a part of a very successful 10 years of Australian cricket. So um, I've loved every moment of it. Yeah, just to take you back a bit, the year's 2010. You're 18 years old, just out of high school, and you're about to make your international debut in New Zealand. What do you remember about that time? And, and were your family there? Or did you have a cap presentation? Run us through it. Oh, I remember bits and pieces. The, the first game I was actually supposed to play, we got washed out. Uh, I think the first T20 of the series got washed out. Um, and then we flew to the next venue and so I had to wait a couple of days extra to to play my first game. Um, I opened the batting, I think it was a T20. Um, I think I hit a six and then I got (laughs) got out. So it was short and sweet. Uh, But no, my family weren't there. Um, They, um, I think, waited until we sort of got back to Australia before they came along. But um, yeah, it was a really cool experience. I sort of got picked on the tour, not really thinking I was going to play much at all. I had a sort of reasonable domestic competition and lead up to that, but but not an extended um, run, I guess. So, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised I was sort of on the tour at all. thought I'd be running drinks a fair bit. So it was nice to be able to get out there early and, um, yeah, sort of get my career going. Did you have a cat presentation? I did, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually remember who presented me my T20 <laughs> cap. Um, I remember my test cap. Um, yeah. And my ODI, oh, geez, my memory's terrible. I should know. <laughs> it's 10 I should years know ago. that. No, it's all good. It's 10 years ago, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, it's a bit blurry, that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I really had no idea what I was doing. I was making it up as I went along, I think. So Alex Blackwell was the captain. The likes of Shelley Nitschke, Lisa Stalaker were in the team. Speaking now as a full-time professional cricketer, take us back to what it was like in 2010 and what, what the culture of the team team was like yeah it was obviously a very successful team that I sort of came into um you mentioned sort of yeah Alex Blackwell and Shelly Nitschke um Leah Poulton as well was playing I actually sort of opened the batting a fair bit with her in the early days which was really cool and um yeah they were probably ahead of the game in terms of professionalism um they they weren't um you know we weren't paid as professional athletes back then but um the standards were very high both on and off the field and um you know it was really easy to sort of settle in and understand what you needed to do to perform at that level. And um, they were all very welcoming of the younger players. I think myself and Sarah Coit debuted at the same time. So it was nice to be able to share that with her. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, some great Australian players in that team. I was very lucky to be a part of it. And it wasn't too long after your debut that you scored your first international ton. I think that might be 10 years tomorrow. Um, and just your second ODI. Uh, Australia's youngest ever centurion which is a pretty massive deal what do you remember about that innings and what was the reaction like from your teammate and your friends and family uh yeah I remember little bits and pieces of it um 
I opened the batting, I think, as well in those in those ODIs. Um, and we were playing at the Wacker, which I, hadn't, I don't think I played at that venue before. So that was sort of worked out. It was a pretty nice place to, to bat at the Wacker. Um, pretty quick yeah. outfield and nice, nice pitch and, and whatnot. And I think we were chasing. It was a day-night game, which also was a bit unusual for me. I don't think I played one of those before. So, um, yeah, again, I was just sort of going with the flow a little bit and, yeah, got off to a decent start. And, um, yeah, I remember Leah Poulton um, being out there and she was just like, I'll, I'll whack the ball around you, just keep batting. I'll, I'll get all the runs. It's <laughs> like, okay, well, that sounds like a good plan. Shelly Nitsky, I batted with a fair bit as well. Um, she was sledging the English players for me. I was um, <laughs> a little bit from behind the stumps, I think, from the English keeper and oh, Shelly no. check for me. So I didn't have to do any sledging in my second game, which was nice. So, uh, yeah, she had them covered. So uh, I remember that pretty clearly, which which is really cool. It was nice to sort of know the senior players were there and had you back the whole time. So that was good. And your very next 100 is another very special one. So it was the fastest ever ODI ton by an Australian, which is a record that still stands. So that was your 100 from 45 balls at North Sydney Oval against New Zealand in 2012. You were clearly in the zone that day. Do you remember what was going through your mind when you were batting out there? Uh, not really. Like other than I just recall everything just going right and to, to plan. Like I just kept hitting the ball in the middle. Um, it just kept going in the gap uh, and it just sort of rolled on. Like it, I didn't go out there with any intention of, of doing that. I think we were chasing a relatively small total. So um, yeah, I had Elisa Healy at the other end with me who was yeah pretty aggressive herself. So yeah, we just sort of got off to a good start and, yeah, I think, as you said, it's just being in the zone and, and one of those days where it just all clicks and, and continues to, to click. Sometimes you get onto a bit of a roll and then it sort of comes to a pretty abrupt end. But, uh, yeah, it just kept working for me that day and I honestly don't think I've batted like that again since it, it, it was just it was a bit ridiculous really. What about um, in 2019 at Chelmsford? Surely that compares. Uh. Yeah, I guess elements of it. I think I started a bit scratchy in that innings actually against England. Um, took me a little while to get into it. Um, whereas the New Zealand one, it was literally just like straight off the bat. It was just on. So um, yeah, Chelmsford, once I got going, it was probably a similar sort of thing. But um, yeah, the New Zealand one was right from the right from the first ball, I think. And speaking of your batting and that early success, how do you think your batting back then compares to, to the way you play today? Has much changed? Uh, I think I've always been pretty offside dominant. Um, I don't think that's changed a lot over the years. I think, yeah, I, I just think I've become better at understanding the game and, and my strengths and weaknesses, I guess, and being a little bit more patient at certain times and understanding when to sort of put the foot down a little bit. I think that is the art of batting. Uh, it's, yeah, being able to understand the situation and bat accordingly and um, go through the, the tempo gears, I guess, especially in one-day cricket. Um, you can go up and down in the tempo stakes a, a fair bit, uh, which I think I've learned a, a lot, you know, learned to do a lot better uh, over the last few years. So I think my game's always been pretty similar. Um, I've probably come a little bit more, um, you know, got the ability now to hit a little bit more through the leg side, which I think is really important. But um, I think what your strengths are are your strengths and you just understand how to use it better. Again, looking back at those early years in the Aussie team for you, so 2012 was your first World Cup in Sri Lanka, which the Australia won. 2013 World Cup, Australia won again and again in 2014 at the T20 World Cup. Obviously a pretty good introduction to international cricket and there's clearly a culture of winning in Australian cricket teams. How do you think that set you up for the next few years and over the rest of your career? 
Yeah, I think it was it was nice to come in during that time and have so many good players who could contribute to to winning. I think, um, yeah, it was just sort of ingrained in us that when it got into a tough situation or things weren't going our way, that we'd be able to fight back and still get the results. So, uh, yeah, I was very lucky to come into the team during that time and the leaders throughout that time, Alex Blackwell and Jody Fields as well. Um, yeah, they were, were the big big leaders of that, I guess. So um, everyone coming into to the squad knew what was expected, I guess, and, and you know, how important it was and, um, you know, how special it was, I guess, to be able to represent your country and, and go and play at World Cups and carry on um, from the platform that, you know, those that have played the game before us and that sort of builds. I think that's an important thing as well. I know, um, you know, Alex Buckle and Jody Field spoke a lot about um, understanding uh, the past and, and the you know, the history of the game. And I think that that was a really important part of it as well. And in 2014, you took over from Jodie Fields as captain at age 21. Um, take us back to that time. And how did 21-year-old Meg um, handle starting off as skipper? Yeah, I genuinely had no idea what I was I was doing. I hadn't done any captaincy before that. Um, and, yeah, oh, sorry, that scratched my cat. It's just, um, yeah. Cute. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, originally I was vice captain for the Ashes series and, um, unfortunately Jodie Fields got injured, uh, in the, the first ODI or something like that, like real early in the tour. Um, and that meant that I had to take over, uh, which was a bit daunting, I must admit, uh, you know, obviously wasn't very experienced at all and, um, you know, sort of had to make it up a little bit as I went along, but I had some really good support from the coaching staff and players around me as well. So, to get through that time and uh, yeah, I think I just started to get a little bit of a feel for, for the job and what it involved. Um, yeah. The on-field stuff was a lot of gut feel and um, just sort of trying to understand the game, but there was so much more off the field, which I probably didn't understand at all. And, and that's probably been the, the biggest thing is trying to work through all that and, and trying to balance, you know, performing as well, which is really important. Is it something that you, that you enjoy being captain of the national team? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a really good challenge. Uh, it sort of forced me to, to learn a lot about myself and other people as well. And, um, you know, you can't just sort of go into your shell and worry about what you're doing. You need to try and understand people and find out what their strengths and weaknesses are and, and how you can get the best out of them. And that's probably been the biggest learning part for me is, is trying to be um, a really, you know, be really good at that, I guess. Um, the on-field stuff's I find a lot easier. As I said, it's just first and um, you go with what you feel. But, um, you know, I think the, you know, the real art of leadership is trying to get the best out of your team. And um, that was probably the area where I needed to look at and, and try and improve the most. Yeah. And on the topic of leadership, in 2015, Matthew Mott replaced Catherine Fitzpatrick as the coach of the Aussie team. What's his impact been on your game and your approach to captaincy? Yeah, he's been a, a really big impact. Um, yeah, he's had a really big impact on my leadership and, and my batting as well. I think he's, you know, he's always wanting to, to challenge you uh, in terms of what you're trying to do and, and achieve. And I think that's really important that, um, you know, just get someone who, who goes along with what you're doing and, um, you know, thinks that's the, the only way, I guess. So I think he is really good at challenging, but we also think very similarly um, about the game. Um, you know, we're always trying to be, quite attacking and, and move the game forward and, and pick options that we, we think might win us the game that maybe might be a little bit different, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, we both love the game a lot. Uh, and as I said, like he's, he's really positive in general, but at the right time, he's really good at asking questions and challenging you to try and get better. 
And just looking back at 2017 with that, um, the World Cup semi-final loss and then your shoulder surgery, was that the, the most challenging period you've faced in your career? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Um, yeah, that World Cup was <laughs> not, you know, it didn't pan out the way that we hoped that it, it would. Um, uh, it was probably, yeah, a little bit of a... Um, bit of a yeah I guess the change that we needed we probably didn't realize that as a group and until we we got knocked out in a pretty brutal fashion uh, against India um that you know we we had some really good talent and probably you know on paper had you know the best team in the world but we weren't playing as well as we needed to and other teams were getting better all the time and you know we we sort of yeah learnt, learnt that um when Harman Precor in India played extremely well in that semi-final and knocked us knocked us out. Um, and then, yeah, obviously I was injured through that and then afterwards as well. And I'd never really spent any time out of the game before that. So um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of positives going on at that time, I guess it was a bit of a challenging time in terms of just getting used to um, yeah, being away from the team, I guess, and having to rehab and get back. And then also the team was going through a bit of change as well. So uh, it was a, yeah, a weird time, I guess, but looking back now, I think both personally and as a, as a team, that's actually led us to a lot of success in the last couple of years. Yeah, we we heard quite a lot about the team changing changing its approach after that 2017 World Cup, like being more honest with each other and having a more fearless approach. As captain, did you feel like you needed to adjust your approach? And do you remember sort of what your mindset was like at the time going back into the team after, after your injury? Uh, yeah, I think um, it was important that myself and Rachel Haynes especially uh, were leading the way in terms of showing showing it I guess there's a lot of talk uh, around how you go about things and what should and shouldn't happen but unless you actually go out there and do it uh, I think it doesn't really mean that much so we obviously yeah came up with our, our values and whatnot that you know how we wanted to operate as a team but you, you sort of had to go and show it so Rach was great at that in that Ashes series at home when I wasn't playing I think she really kick-started that and um, it was really only it was a mindset shift really and it was actually just knowing that everybody else in the team was playing the same way and wanted to achieve the same thing. And um, if it wasn't uh, your day, then it was going to be someone else's and actually being okay with that. Um, having, you know, being happy for other people's success is a really important part of us as well. And um, I think that was probably something that shifted too within the squad is that real group mentality and, um, yeah, understanding that everyone's playing the same way and um, playing in a more aggressive and, um, positive manner is actually a lot more fun as well. So uh, I think we've actually really enjoyed our last couple of years too. And the team has just become one of the the most dominant sporting teams in the world. I mean, you already were and even more so with the, the winning streak in one day is winning so consistently isn't easy. How do you keep the team so motivated and driven all the time? Yeah, I think first of all, we've got a very competitive uh, team and, and individuals within the team who um, yeah don't want to sort of settle for for what we've got and um, I also really do think the the fact that we don't have the one day World Cup uh, in our in our cabin I guess is something that's really driving us and it's it seems like it's been such a long time since 2017 um, that we we've obviously had some really good T20 success but I think that's in the back of uh, everyone's minds who was involved in that and I know with Modi as well um, that we want to you know, we want to try and achieve that. And I think we also understand that it's it's pretty hard to, to, to win World Cups and continue to be successful. And as, as soon as you sort of just sit back and think everything's going to happen, that's when it comes crashing down pretty quickly. So I think, you know, perhaps in, t- in 2017, we, we didn't quite understand that. We, we thought 
you know, we had a good team, which we did, that it just sort of happened for us. But I don't really feel like we've got that within our group anymore. And the other thing that has happened within our squad is we've got some really good young players in who um, are super competitive and, and want to get better and um, want to firstly get into the team and then stay in the team. And I think that really drives the, the players who have been around for a little while in, in terms of getting better and, you know, ensuring that they're still in the team because there's some really talented players coming through. So I think a combination of all those things um keeps everybody going yeah we cer- certainly saw the Aussies at their dominant best back in March in 2020 we obviously can't not talk about the T20 World Cup the build-up to that tournament was immense like two years out from March 8 we were obviously speaking about filling the MCG and at the time obviously you guys were sort of playing it down like say like you know saying that you weren't feeling the extra pressure but looking back now with the trophy in the cabinet do you sort of look back and think we sort of did feel that pressure and how do you like, how do you feel about how the team handled that pressure and came out on top? Uh, yeah, I think initially in the early stages of the tournament, we, we probably felt the, yeah, the, the pressure a little bit and, and probably didn't react as well as we would have liked. Um, but again, I think it would have been difficult to change anything in the lead up to that tournament. Um, we spoke about trying to embrace it and, um, you know, of course we wanted to play on March 8 in the final um, and that was what the, all the talk was about, I guess, and it, it was pretty difficult to, to not talk about it because that was just, you know, the big the big item, I guess. So, um, you know, we had to try and find a way to say that we wanted to be there but, you know, the thing that, like, gave me a lot of confidence is I think everybody knew in the back of their minds, like, geez, it's going to be pretty hard to actually get there, like, First of all, get out of the group stage and then the semi-final. Like, I think everybody knew it. There was no complacency whatsoever in thinking, oh, we're just going to be. So, um, yeah, we just so had to accept that people were going to keep talking about it and um, that was the way it is. We couldn't really do much about it. But, yeah, in the lead-up to the first game, I mean, we did so much media um, and I felt a little bit obliged to say yes to everything and potentially something we, we may have done a little bit differently in the lead-up is been a little bit more selective in how we went about that because it was yeah there was a fair bit um of sort of logistics and stuff that went into it as well which made it a pretty busy lead in and then um yeah the first couple of games obviously weren't ideal either we're losing the first one and then the Sri Lanka one we sort of snuck snuck home so um yeah it yeah I guess now that we know the result it was all worth it and it was all great <laughs> but at the time it was Extremely, uh, extremely stressful and, um, yeah, it was um, – but, yeah, as I said, now that we know that we're able to, to win in the end, it makes it even better. Do you ever sort of sit back and think back to that rainy night at the SCG and then fast forward to the night at the MCG with Katy Perry and just sort of think about how outrageous that was? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, that Sydney game was unbelievable. I don't really know how we got on that day. It was, yeah, it was so much luck involved in it. It wasn't funny. Um, yeah, it, it was just one of those days where things went our way, I guess. Um, and we sort, of, yeah, we sort of felt like it hadn't quite worked for us in the early stage of the tournament, but for some reason on that day it did. Um, and uh, and then yeah, it almost like felt like once we got through that, it was like, oh, okay, now we're now we're right in in a way. Like the the mm-hmm. final was game of like the lot in the end in terms of in terms of stress and like you know how close it was obviously. Like like Elisa Healy and and Moons, they just took care of that yeah. really. Um, but so strange. You often think of the the final as like the the big game and the big pressure situations and mm-hmm. whatnot. When you look back now, it was actually it was actually the the easiest, which is which is quite yeah. weird. 
final was probably the, the big one that we had to get through. How nervous were you ahead of that final when you saw the crowd at the G? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I was more nervous before the game. Once we got to the ground, I was, I was pretty good, actually. Um, I was just happy it was there. Like, I, I was sort of, like, we sort of spoken about it so much that it was okay. Now we can actually play this game that we've been yeah, and like even like within the group of stuff, you could see it in people's faces. Like we were fine, like we were ready to go. We were really enjoying it and embracing what was happening. Um, you know, like most of the group were out on the ground with singing with Katy Perry before the game started. Like, like, like I think sometimes you might get a little bit worried about that. The people aren't switched on, but it was actually you could just sort of tell that people were just embracing the moment and, um, you know you know, so happy to, to be a part of something that was pretty special. And how many people do you reckon were at that first match you played 10 years ago? Um, and did you ever imagine it would be 86,000 within a decade? No, I reckon there were maybe 50 people there in the first game. <laughs> um, and no, I didn't think I'd ever play in front of that many people. I, I think I've said this a few times, but I've been to the MCG and it's been full and I've watched watched sporting events and thought how cool it was and be out in the middle of that with everybody there just for our game, like it wasn't a doubleheader, it wasn't something else. It was actually just a, you know, our game of cricket um, on the world stage. So that was, um, yeah, probably the, the most special part about it. And just looking back over the decade, what do you think has been the biggest change in you as a, as a person and a player across that time? Oh, um, biggest change. Oh, I think I've just got a really good understanding of, like, who I am, I guess, and what sort of cricketer I am as well and just being... Totally fine with that. Um, I think, you know, everyone's different in their own way. And um, I think early on in your career, you can try and please every, everyone else and do things uh, a certain way. And um, yeah, you get some really good advice, but it, it can also um, sometimes sort of make it a little bit more difficult. So I think over the time I've been able to pick up certain things from different people and, you know, sort of fan people that I really trust. And and then I've just become more comfortable with who I am and what sort of cricketer I want to be. And um, I go out there and give my best shot and um, you know, try and train and work as hard as I can and um, see what happens after that. But, um, yeah, I think especially the last couple of years, I've really tried to enjoy it a lot more as well. Um, you know, start off your career and you're yeah, pretty go with the flow. And, um, and then I reckon in the middle part or the middle of the 10 years, I probably got a little bit too serious and, um, down down the line, and then I reckon the last couple I've softened a little bit. Um, so uh, yeah, that's my perspective on it. I don't know what anyone, anyone else thinks, but uh, yeah, I've tried to just enjoy and smile, and um, yeah, it's pretty good what we get what we get to do. Yeah, no more serious belly. No, she doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> How good. And Meg, just looking ahead to the next few months and the next year, there's obviously a lot up in the air with the pandemic, but we've got a lot of fans asking when we'll see the Aussie girls in action again. Do you have any idea of when that might be? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. We're, we're, you know, obviously, the Indian series um, has been postponed, which is unfortunate because you know, it's always a great great tour when they come out to Australia and they've got so many great fans. So that was obviously disappointing, but um, I think, yeah, we're working on trying to play in New Zealand again. So um, I think it will be over in, in New Zealand um, at some point. We're not exactly sure when that that's going to be obviously with the changing situation at the moment, mm-hmm. but I know CA are doing everything they can to try and get us some cricket, which is, which is great because I think it's important that we get to, to keep playing. And there's also a world cup in New Zealand in a year's time, um, which was supposed to be this year, but um if we get to go and play over there and give us good practice um, over in their conditions and hopefully we get to go to Mount Monganui, 
which is a great place to play cricket. We love going there. So hopefully they send us there. Why is it so good? It's just like a it's like a holiday town. Like you're you're a little bit on a holiday, but then you play cricket as well. Um, nice beaches. Um, you can climb climb the mount, which um, is a little bit tiring, I must admit, when you're going up there. But it's a great view down back down onto the the city. So um, yeah, I don't know. I know there's a lot of the girls who enjoy playing there, so hopefully they can get that going. Is that why you've scored, I think, three centuries there? We're <laughs> <laughs> all so relaxed off the field. We just go out there and enjoy it. So um, it's, a nice, it's a nice oval tour. I do enjoy playing there actually as well. It's an added bonus. Yeah, it was a bit sad to see. I think Australia only have one game there during the World Cup, which is a bit of a shame, but at least yeah, they get I there. We're going to be based there actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think New Zealand were on to that. I think they know we've got a reasonable record there. They might have... <laughs> <laughs> and Meg, it looks like there might not be a, a heap on during winter, but then England and India next summer ahead of the World Cup. How do you think that rates as a preparation for a major tournament in your view? I think it'd be great preparation. Obviously, England and India are two of the best teams in the world and um, will be yeah, a great challenge for, for us. And, um, you know, I think we saw with the Tri-Series leading into the last T20 World Cup that some really good competitive cricket, I think, is, is great for everyone. And, um, yeah, so hopefully that, that, all, that all happens and, and they can come out and we can play some really good cricket and there's the opportunity for fans to come along as well, which, which is, is really cool. So, yeah, hopefully um, that all happens. We're all looking forward to it. It's yeah, maybe a, a little bit of a quieter next few months, but um, 2022 for us is a very busy year, so we're looking forward to it. Are you confident the team will be ready to go regardless of what match practice you are able to get in over the next 12 months? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we've got a lot of experience within our squad who's you know, played a lot of cricket and, and played at a lot of World Cups as well. So um, you know, I think even just the lead in to, to, to this, this summer with the New Zealand series was a little bit limited and, and different and we were able to cope really well. So, yeah, I think if, if you go in with the attitude of, of yeah, just doing, doing what you can, I guess, and um, being able to adapt to, to what's happening, then uh, I think um, we'll be fine. And I think from experience, we've done a really good job of that. Meg, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the Scoop podcast to reflect on your 10 years in green and gold. I'm sure I speak for all the fans when we can say it's been an absolute pleasure to sit back and watch you and hope for plenty more years to come. Yeah, 10 more years. 10 more years. Lock it in. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.